We love our moms, right? Happy Mother's Day to our moms. And we're going to see if we can pull a Mother's Day sermon out of Exodus chapter 8 with the, uh, the plague of the, of, of the flies. Okay, we're going to... <laughs> That's going to be a hard one. Hey, turn with me to Exodus chapter 8. We'll start on verse 20. And uh, hey, guys, we, we're still dealing with plagues. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, another plague. Man, I'm starting to suffer some uh, plague fatigue. Well, now you know how Pharaoh's going to feel, right? When it's all said and done, he suffered some severe plague fatigue as well. So if you'll turn with me to Exodus chapter 8, verse 20. We'll start to read. We're just going to finish up uh, this chapter today. And, uh, and this scripture will kind of give us some insight on uh, what we're going to be covering right here. Exodus chapter 8, starting verse 20. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh, as he goes to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. This is kind of redundant, right? We've heard this. uh, As a matter of fact, this is the second morning confrontation with Pharaoh at the river. You know, at this moment, you're starting to think that every time you show up at the river and you see Moses and you see Aaron on the other side of the river, it's not going to go well for you, right? It just, you know, sometimes, have you ever encountered people like that in your life that it just seems like that cloud just, just travels with them? And every time you encounter them, and it's not necessarily any fault of their own, but it just seems like every time you encounter them, there's something negative that's going to accompany them. Have you ever experienced anybody like that in your life? You have? Okay. All right. I have as well. And uh, so I'm sure that he's thinking uh, this as well whenever these confrontations take place down by the river, right? And it says this, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. Then he goes on to say, but on that day I will deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. And Then he goes on and he says, and the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials. Throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by flies. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God here in the land. But Moses said that would not be right. The sacrifices we offer the Lord our God would be, would be detestable to the Egyptians. And we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes. If we do, will they not stone us? We must take a three days journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he commands us. Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but you must not go very far. Now pray for me. Moses answered, as soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only let Pharaoh be sure that he does not act deceitfully 
again by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not a fly remained. But this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. Father, in Jesus' name, we want to see, hear, and understand. Oh God, make a distinction, Lord, in our hearts, Lord, uh, from the heart of this world, that our heart would hunger and thirst after righteousness, your righteousness. And may we have an appetite, Lord, deep within our soul, Lord, for the things uh, that are yours. And Father, today speak to us because we need to be spoken to. Minister to us because we need to be ministered to. Change us because I need to be changed. I need to be changed. Constantly being changed. Lord, that is my desire. Always under construction. Your construction. Father, we bless you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, all right. Let's see. Exodus, there we are, chapter 8, verse 20. Hey, quick review. Remember last week, man, we were, uh, we were dealing with the, <clears throat> the third plague. And remember, it was the, the plague of gnats, lice. You know, we can debate exactly uh, what type of uh, gnat or lice that may have been. But that's what we dealt with last week. And it was the third plague. Remember the first two plagues? Uh, you had the plague of blood, and then you had the plague of frogs, and then you had the plague of gnats last week. And uh, there were a couple of things that, uh, uh, that took place last week that hadn't happened previously. One being the third plague comes without warning. Remember we talked about that. And the way it works when you look at the, the plagues of Egypt Every third plague comes without a warning. The sixth plague comes, and the ninth plague comes without a warning. And so God establishes a, it's, it's almost a, a, a system with, with the plagues. But also, last week is the first plague that the magicians of Egypt could not replicate. Remember, they had replicated the blood. They had replicated the frogs by creating. But last week, they could not replicate uh, the gnats or the lice. And, uh, and also, uh, through their failure to replicate that, they acknowledged uh, that this was the finger of God. Remember, they actually said this is the finger of Adonai. They identified him to be the God of the Hebrews. It was a Hebrew name for God uh, that they had picked up and had, and had identified. And they said this is the finger of God, acknowledging that it was God. Yet Pharaoh, who had uh, subjected himself to the wisdom and the counsel of these wise men and magicians, at this moment, once they began to speak something to him that he didn't want to hear, he rejected what they had to say. Remember that? <coughs> and he goes on and he hardens his heart once again against the purpose and the plan of God. So now we're moving on because God's not going to let this thing lie. God had given a prophetic word to his people years and years and hundreds of years, hundreds of years before the 400 years of bondage ever took place. And he had said that it was going to take place. 
And he said upon the end of that, he was going to deliver his children. Just because Pharaoh is obstinate and resistant, it doesn't deter God from accomplishing what he said he was going to accomplish. Now that should encourage Jacob, encourage me, encourage Carl, encourage each and every one of us that God isn't deterred by the same resistance that deters us. Aren't you, listen, aren't you glad that God doesn't become discouraged by the things we come, become discouraged by? Aren't you glad that God doesn't become overwhelmed by the things that overwhelm you? I am. I'm tickled to death that God isn't subject to respond to certain things the same way I respond to certain things. And so God's got a purpose, and God continues to push on. And so that's where we find ourselves this week, the fourth plague. There's some distinctions in this plague as well that we want to identify, and then we're actually going to close with a couple of verses in chapter 10. You're like, oh no, Trent, you're starting to Bible hop on me. I thought we were just going to go through this chapter. verse. It's significant, and you'll see the correlation when I read these couple of verses, and you'll understand, understand why. Uh, I wanted to share those as well as we move forward through this, okay? So, you know, we, we just read this. So we understand that, that God is still, the plan is the same. Let my people go. Why is he wanting them to, to be let go? That they may worship me, right? Now that's been said. That'll be said basically roughly around nine different times this phrase is used in the book of Exodus during the plagues and whatnot. So God reasserts this, reasserts it, reiterates this. And he, and, and he says this, if you do not let my people go, I will send this time a swarm of flies. Now the Hebrew word for, the, for uh, swarm of flies is actually one word. It is, it's not three words, it is one word, and it's a robe. And it actually means just basically a swarm or swarm of insects. But it's one word. A lot of people, a lot of translations will translate this insects as opposed to flies. How many of you guys with your Bible this morning, it may say insects instead of flies? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, we may all be using the same translation. But some translations you'll see, it'll actually use the term insects as opposed to flies because some people don't necessarily believe that it was a fly as you and I might think of a fly. I had just spoken with a couple of brothers this week, and we had all been doing some similar studies of this. And a lot of people think that this insect was more than likely an Egyptian beetle. Now, I don't know about you, but listen, I don't like flies. Anybody? I'm not down with flies, right? And you know when spring comes around and uh, things start to warm up, and all of a sudden, man, you step out one day, and there's like a thousand flies on the side of your house, and you're like, where'd all these flies come from? And then you're fighting to get out and to get in, you know, without being swarmed by flies. Have you ever experienced that? It just drives you crazy. I don't like that. I don't like flies. I'm going to tell you what I don't like more than I don't like flies is crunchy, nasty, sticky beetles. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you know that when you're walking through and all of a sudden you step on one? You know that? And you're like, you know, and one of them, one of them lands on you. You know, there's just something about that that, that just kind of turns me off. I, I don't like to be crawled on by hard-shelled beetles, right? Now, I, I want you to understand, because I told you guys this before, every time one of these plagues 
or, or, or brought forth by God, it's dealing with an Egyptian deity uh, that has been exalted and worshipped within the, the construct of the culture, right? We've talked about that. Well, this is no exception. There is an Egyptian god named Tepri, and he's a, a scarab-faced god uh, who's obviously in, identified within the, the, the construct of, of the Egyptian religion, um, who represents the rising sun and the renewal of life. Can we show what he might look like? This is what he would look like, guys. This is a portrait. This is a painting of, a, of this Capri. I'm, I'm not sure that that's a cat that I want to worship. But that is, that is a God who controls uh, um, uh, these, these insects. And he's, and he's also uh, attributed with a regeneration or, or recreation. And he is he's also credited within the, the uh, Egyptian belief system as the one who is subject to the God Ra, who uh, uh, is the one who invokes, this God invokes the rising of the sun every morning. And so what God does in this plague is he shows the uh, impotence of this God by uh, sending these beetles whom this God should have been able to control. And God says, no, I control that as well. As a matter of fact, God is establishing, he controls everything. And before it's all said and done, they'll come to that conclusion, okay? This is the God Kepri, all right? And this is what he says, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people, and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. Now we're going to get to the serious scripture right here. Not that there's some that isn't serious, but this is the focus, part of the focus, I might say. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. Now, where is Goshen and why are his people living in Goshen? Do y'all remember the, the account in Genesis? You remember we're at the end of Genesis? Joseph's brothers had come to Pharaoh. Joseph was esteemed, remember that? He was uh, <clears throat> highly regarded by Pharaoh. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 47, verses 5 and 6. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. These are the only Hebrews there. And the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. Some translations will say, in Pharaoh's providence. This is the land that belonged to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh goes on to say, if you know any, if you know of any among them with special abilities, put them in charge of my livestock while they're in Goshen. Because that's probably where my livestock's residing as well. Go ahead and put them in charge of that. And so God makes a declaration in this plague. He said, I'm going to make a distinction in this plague. I want you to understand that there is something different happening in this plague. And it, what he says is I'm going to be dealing differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. I want you to know God deposited the family of Joseph in Goshen, right? 400 and some years later, God hasn't forgot where he placed his people. Some of you need to be encouraged today 
because it seems as though it's been a long time since God has arrived, since depositing you in the place that you find yourself currently residing in. We've got people who have moved from Texas who are now residing in E-Town, and they may be thinking from time to time, has God forgotten me in E-Town? God led me up here. I've not seen God do a whole lot since I've been here. I'm looking for God to become active in my life. I hope God hasn't forgotten me. We've got brothers who are from Clearwater, Florida, right? Moved up here in Kentucky. I feel like I've been moved up here by God to Kentucky. I've not seen God do a whole lot. I hope God hadn't misplaced me. And, and, and I hope he's not down in Texas or Clearwater looking for me. Sometimes we feel like that, don't we, Tim? Sometimes we feel like that. I want to encourage you that God's eyes still see you. He knows where you're at. He's placed you there. If you're faithful and you're trusting him, in due time, in due season, he will arrive in the place that he has deposited you in and will accomplish the reason he deposited you there, there to begin with. Be encouraged about that, wherever and whatever that might be. All right? And then he goes on and he says this. He says this. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. And what he's saying in this moment, he said, hey, Pharaoh, Hey, Egypt, I'm going to draw a distinction between your people and my people. I do not care how you value the Hebrews. The Hebrews' value isn't based on how you assess them. It's based on how I assess them. I'm making a distinction. I'm making a distinction. And you and I, as followers of Jesus, need to understand that God's value of us and his distinguishing us from everyone else is something that we need to anchor in and understand that that's where our value comes from. It doesn't come from the value system that the world drops on us or tries to assign us. You're not more valuable because you have certain assets, certain intelligence, certain education, certain means. Those aren't the things that make you more valuable. The thing that makes you more valuable is the fact that you have the stamp, the approval, the redemptive mark of God's Spirit in and upon your life. Amen. We're going to push through this. We're going to push through this this morning. And this is what he says. He says, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I love the fact that God is basically establishing, hey, Pharaoh, you know you run this thing, right? You know, you're sitting up there at the palace, you're calling the shots, you're doing all these things. Don't be foolish to think that I'm not here. You know, I've said many times, and we've got teachers. How many teachers do we have in sanctuary this morning? I know we've got two sitting over here, three we've got. Okay, listen, one of the, Got another? We got teachers everywhere. Okay, okay. One of the things, when, well, we married to a teacher. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I find amusing is this whole prayer in school uh, uh, contest. Let's get prayer back in school. Let's get God back in school. 
You know what I'm talking about? And I'm like, well, when has prayer not been in school? When, ha- when did they, when did the school system, the government, when did they become so strong that they evict God's presence out of school? How does that happen? Do you put on the door, no trespassing, God? How do they stop God from entering in? If you have a student who carries the presence of God into that school or a teacher who invokes the name of God under their breath before their class as they pray, God is in that land. You You can't keep God out. That's one of the more ridiculous concepts or notions I've ever heard. Give me one teacher, one student who loves Jesus and he will invade that place. You can't stop him. Literally. He cannot be stopped. And he will act on behalf of that one teacher and that one student because he wants them to understand this one thing. God is in the land. Are you with me? Do you understand you're tracking with what I'm saying? Thank you, teacher. Mr. Lobb, as they might say. All right. And then he goes on to say this. He says, I will make a distinction between my people and your people, and this will be, and this sign will occur tomorrow. He uses the, he, he talks about this distinction that he's making as a sign. Well, what does a sign do? Throw it up there. What, give me the definition of sign. Okay, sign. All right, let's look at this. The definition of the word sign. An object, quality, or event whose presence or occurrence indicated the probable presence or occurrence of something else. You you got me? You with it? When he says this will be a sign, it's not a sign about how good the children of Israel are or how bad the Egyptians are. It's a sign ultimately pointing back to him and his goodness and his faithfulness and his power and his influence. We are living signs and markers as followers of Jesus. We should constantly be pointing back to the goodness of God. The thing that he's working in my life, the thing that he's working in your life, isn't to exalt me, to elevate me, but to always be pointing back to God. Right? And God says this distinction I'm making in the land is a sign and it will occur tomorrow. Okay, let's move, Trent. Let's move. And then the scripture says in Exodus chapter 8, verse 24, this is different. Different. Then the other three plagues, we read through this often, we speed through this, we don't catch these things. And this is what the scripture says, verse 24, and the Lord did this. Notice something here. There was no raising of a staff. There was no striking of the ground. There was no commandment. There was no charge by any man. The scripture just says that, The Lord did this. The Lord, basically, what the scripture is saying right here is in the fourth plague, God just flexes up on Egypt. 
He just kind of bypasses his, his, his instruments and tools and he just flexes and he does this. And the scripture says, dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace. I mean dense. You understand what dense is? I'm talking about like a cloud of locusts or I mean a cloud of beetles. A cl- I mean dense. You can't even see through them. A dense swarm of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace into the houses of his officials throughout Egypt. The land was ruined by these flies, insects, beetles. Call them what you will. In this moment, God flexes. There's times. There's times in our life. And many of you know. Many of you know this. That God has said to you, Reuben, I need you to do this. And this is what I'll do because you've acted. I need you to do this, Trent, and this is what I'll do because you act. And we follow through, man. Sometimes it takes some boldness. Sometimes it takes some bravery to follow through with what God has directed us. And then God is faithful. God proves himself. God delivers. But every once in a while in our life, God just flexes. You know what I'm talking about? Without our, without our aid, without our assistance, without our involvement, he just flexes. And I think sometimes he just does it just to show his goodness in our lives. And every once in a while, it seems as though he does flex when we need him to flex the most. He just does it sometimes for us. And we just step back at times and we're like, <laughs> watch God flex. I mean, it's a powerful, encouraging experience when we're on the receiving end of the flexing of God's power in our life. And we're just kind of a spectator to it. And other people are saying, man, what did you do to, what what is going on in your life that God would do that? And you're like, "I, I don't even know. God's just being God and he's being good. And he's just flexing on my behalf because he loves me. And he flexes on your behalf because he loves you. Right? Some of you need God to flex today in your life. You need God to flex in your marriage. You need God to flex in your job. You need God to flex in in your children. There's times, man, when I, I get a little thin, I run a little low. Man, the energy's gone. The endurance is failing. And sometimes I just cry out. Sometimes I just ask, you know, humble spirit, Lord, would you just do this? Would you open this? Would you close this? Would you provide this? Would you take this away? I'm at the end. Uh, I can't rally any more strength. The tanks run low, Jay. And I just cry out, and I say, God, would you, would you just flex? I remember one Sunday, Jay Lynn was going in for surgery. Remember this Sunday? And, uh, and I remember, you know, the, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It's powerful and effective, as some translations would say. And I remember, and Jay remembers, many of you remember, we, we called Jay up here. Remember this, Jay? We, pour, we pulled out this little bottle of anointing oil. You, you, you know how valuable that anointing oil is? Not very valuable. Let me tell you that. Pretty cheap. Pretty cheap. And I remember we took this anointing oil, not because of the value of it, but because God said so. And we anointed Jay. He was going in for brain surgery. 
Right, Jay? And, and Janny was praying that he'd come home with a whole brain. You know, we were praying for a miracle. We didn't want him left the way he was. We wanted his brain fully restored. No, I'm just kidding, right? But what happened that day, we, we, we gathered around him as brothers, and, and we anointed him. And we began to cry out for God to work on Jay's behalf. Do you know what we were really saying? We're at the end of ourselves. Hey, God, for Jay, this week, would you flex? Would you flex? Would you flex? We need you to flex. And some of you in the situation you're in right now, you need God to flex in your life. And you can trust him to do that because he cares and loves for you. Loves you. You understand that? Yeah, I gotta move. I gotta move on. I'm sorry. Okay, let's read this. And we're gonna close as sort of close. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I gave you a glimmer of hope. I mentioned the word close. Okay. We're gonna read, we're gonna read these seven verses. And instead of working our way through them, I'm going to extract a couple of things so I want you to see something that's happening here. I want to talk to you about a culture of compromise that Egypt had, that you and I live under, that sometimes gets in the way of God flexing in our lives. And I want you, I want you to see how it plays out right here. And then you make application in your own life. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. Remember, flies, beetles everywhere, man. He says, go sacrifice to your God here in the land. You know what he was saying? He said, hey, man, do the God thing, whatever you need to do, get the flies off me, the beetles off me, do all, but stay here. You know what the world is saying? You know what's keeping God from maybe flexing in your life? Because you've bought into this nonsense. When the world says to you, hey man, I'm all down with that religion thing you're doing, that whole Jesus, that whole Jesus, I'm down with your Jesus music, you know, I'm down with all that stuff. You can do that on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday, we need you here. We need you living in this. We want you staying in the borders of this world. We want you looking and acting and being just like us. You can do that thing on Sundays, but the rest of the time, just stay in our land. And how many of us want to ask and question the motive of God why he's not flexing in our lives when we know in our hearts we're Sunday believers? We're worshiping God, but we're staying in the land, metaphorically speaking, spiritually speaking. We've never broke free from the constraints of the culture. We operate our relationship with God within that circle. I'll be there if these other things don't interfere. I'll serve if this other stuff doesn't challenge for my time. And that's what, that's what Pharaoh is telling Moses. Okay, man, 
You can do that stuff. Just stay in Egypt. Just stay, but when you stay in Egypt, Egypt stays in you. And that's where some of us find ourselves. We want to get Egypt out of us while we still reside in a spiritual Egypt. Subscribing to, partaking in, consuming this, that. And we wonder where God's flexing is in our lives. Pharaoh says, hey man, stay in the land, Moses. And you know what Moses says? You know what he says? I'm not down with that compromise, Pharaoh, brother. And he literally says this. Doing that's going to get us killed. You know, what he's, you, know, you know what that app is? You know what comes on the other end of compromise? Death. Death. You keep compromising, my friend. You keep compromising. Death. Death will access your life. It'll cost you. And Moses says that. Let's read it. Read what he, what he says. But Moses said that would not be right. Why would it not be right? Because God said to go. Oh, he, he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not down with that stuff. He said, it wouldn't be right. The sacrifices we offer the Lord, our God, would be detestable to the Egyptians. You get that? Real worship just don't jive in this land. Do you see what he's saying right there? Am I the only one that reads that scripture and sees that's what Moses is saying? He is literally saying, the worship that my God will receive and accept just doesn't jive here. And it will be an offense and it will be detestable. And I'm telling you, when you live in this culture and your, your worship is legit, you will be detestable. It won't jive. Your value system looks different. How you feel about people looks different. How you value individuals look different. Trent done got crazy on Mother's Day. He says, and if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? You know what he's saying? It's so, it's so uh, uh, unconducive that our worship, if we, if we do it the way you said to do it, stone to death. That's our outcome. And Moses gets it, right? That's what compromise is bringing. Moses recognizes it. He addresses it. He said, man, it will end in death. What does the scripture say? He says, we must take a three-day journey into the wilderness to go offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he commands us. Compromise two. You ready? Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but you must not go very far. Compromise two. All right. Listen, man. This culture, they don't care, man, about your bumper sticker. Right? You know what I'm talking about? You know, they don't care about your T-shirt. 
And I might, hey, listen, I might have more bumper stickers than all of you. I'm not downplaying the bumper sticker. They just don't care. They don't care about your T-shirt about Easter, even though I've got one too, and I've got more. Who do you think gets all the leftovers here that nobody buys? I'll come in there wearing a medium on y'all one Sunday, and you'll know. Oxygen be cut off, face be red, that shirt be so tight. Listen, I got more T-shirts than all of you. Jesus T-shirts. I could open a store. Right? They don't care about your bumper stickers. They don't care about your T-shirts. They don't care about your, con- your concerts up at KFC. They don't care about your men conferences. They don't, they don't care about any of that stuff. They ain't worried about that stuff. They don't care if you're a mile wide as long as you're an inch deep. You know what I'm talking about? They don't care about that stuff, man. You know what they care about? They care about radical people going far and deep in their relationship with Jesus. That's the thing that ruffles their feathers. And as long as we're willing to compromise, when the world says, hey, man, okay, you got church on Sunday, you want to take it to another another level, okay, wear your shirt. Go ahead and put your bumper sticker on. Okay, rock your, your WWJD bracelet or whatever or your, your Philippians 4.13 tattoo. I don't know. Whatever you want to do, do it. Just don't start living radical. Don't go far with that stuff. Don't get all crazy with it. That's compromise too. Are you staying in the shallow end? You know what I'm talking about? I remember when I was a young kid. Before I learned to swim, before my near drowning experience that Ricky Lowell's brother saved me from down in the creek in Hodgeville, pulled me out of the dark depths of the nastiest creek you've ever seen. Ricky Lowell knows it to be true. I remember when I couldn't swim, I used to, I used to pretend I could swim. And you used to go to that public pool, you know, you give them a dollar. My mom would give us a dollar. She'd get rid of us about eight or ten hours. It was like an investment in freedom. She'd say, here, take that dollar. We'd walk across that field, we'd go up in there, and we had, all we had was a dollar. By the end of the day, we'd done about starved to death, emaciated. We'd been swimming eight hours out in the sun. We, we'd look, look like a lobster. And, and then we had to walk three miles. Thinking, man, you're eating wild onions out of the field. I mean, you're hungry, you know? You know? And I remember I'd go, to that, I'd go to that public pool, and you'd get in. You know, they had that deep stuff, that 10, 12-foot deep stuff where the diamond boards were. And then it all kind of ramped up. You know what I'm talking about? Then you had that four-and-a-half-foot. And I may have been, you know, three-and-a-half-foot tall. I was a little guy, not nearly the giant of a man I am now. Okay, yeah, keep laughing. I'm not done growing. <laughs> I'm about to hit a growth spurt, and you'll be laughing next week. When that happens, I'll walk in there six feet three. Okay, probably not. But I remember going to that swimming pool, and I remember I'd get in that, uh, I'd get in that shallow end, Jose. God's witness, what I'm about to say to be true to my own shame. And then I'd, I'd start to walk down. I could feel that water get up about here. And I'd get that water up about chest high. God is my witness. I'd start swimming. I couldn't swim, but I'd start swimming. Lord, you know. I'd have one foot on the bottom. I'd do like this. I'd be kicking. I'd flat. You'd see my foot flat, but sometimes I'd switch them. And I'd sit there. 
like I was Mark Spitz, David Phelps, like I was an Olympic swimmer. My feet on the ground the whole time. The whole time. Never going in the deep water. I just wanted to look deep. And there is the application. Some of us just want to look deep. You know. But we're not going into deep stuff. And the world don't care. They don't care, man. If you got one foot on the ground, you're doing this. Matter of fact, that's what they want you to do. They want you to look deep and not be deep. They don't want you going far. And Moses answered, As soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only let Pharaoh be sure that he does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Don't be a fibber. Liar, liar, pants on fire kind of thing. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. Relief comes, right? And the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not a fly remained. Not a beetle, not an insect remained. But this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. Now I'd like to say to you, that's the end of, of the solicitation of compromise. But that's not where it ends because compromise don't end. The culture of compromise, man, continues to deal you a hand, man. They're always wanting to shake you down. You know what I'm talking about? They want to shake you down. They want you to concede, concede, and concede on matters that are spiritual because they don't want God flexing in your life. Let's take a look. Can I jump to chapter 10 just as an example? Can I do that? Well, let me tell you what happens in chapter 10. Some locusts show up in Egypt. All right? And this is on the backside of some locusts coming into town. And this is what it says in Exodus chapter 10. Listen to this. This is Pharaoh's response to him again. Pharaoh's official said to him, said to Pharaoh, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord their, their God. Do, do you not realize that Egypt is ruined? You see where we're getting, right? God is starting to flex, man. Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go worship the Lord your God. This is what Pharaoh says. But tell me who will be going. Mm, compromise. Moses answered, we will go with our young and our old, our sons, our daughters, our flocks, herds. Because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. And Pharaoh said, the Lord be with you. If I let you go along with your women and children, clearly you are bent on evil. No. Have only the men go and worship the Lord. Compromise three. This culture says, listen. Listen. You can worship. Kind of keep it. Keep it. You know, under wraps. You can worship, don't go far, don't go deep with this stuff. You can worship, but don't allow your life that is so deeply intertwined with the heart and the purpose of God start to suck your wife, your spouse, your husband, 
or your children into this. I don't want you living a life that's going to influence your family. And the culture will say, definitely don't be living a life that's going to influence my family. Man, I've had women come to this church and bring their children and their spouses become hostile because their wives had developed a commitment and a yearning and a dedication to God that the husband wanted only for them. And I find myself engaged in these conversations with, with these husbands where they're saying stuff like, I, I don't want my, my wife getting radical and bringing my children in here and then indoctrinating them in, in the Christian uh, worldview. You think that ain't happening, man? You're crazy. Pharaoh says to them, just let the men go. Keep it to yourself. do realize that compromise that compromise may be the most costly of all of your compromises dad mom when you allow that compromise to shorten the arms of your own reach into the lives of your marriage into the lives of your children into the lives of your neighbors into the lives of those that your co-workers when you compromise to the extent that you don't allow God to impact the people in your sphere of influence is that where you're at are you that secret agent cat you know what I'm talking about you know you know you know that that stealth Christian Radar can't even pick you up, Jack. You're so stealth about it. And you can slide, you can slide in and out of the world and they not even know it. Your influence is so diminished. Is that you? But it doesn't stop there, right? Here's the last compromise and we really are closing. And this is what he says in verse 24. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, this is after God done sent some darkness on him. So now he reconsiders things. He says, okay. Okay. Go ahead and take those, your women and children. Do you see what's happening? Because Moses won't compromise. God's flexing. And you see the outcome? First, it was what? Stay in the land? No, no, no. Then it was don't go too far. And then it was don't take the women and children and such. And God just keeps flexing. Because Moses ain't compromised. He said, no, no. We going to God and we taking our babies with us. <laughs> I tell you, man, if you're there in that group of people, you're looking at Moses when Moses stands up and says, no, 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 no. I'm taking my kids, I'm taking my wife, I'm taking my grandkids, and I'm taking my neighbors and their kids with them. And that's how we're rolling out of Egypt to worship God. And God just flexes. Then Pharaoh looks at him and says, okay, okay, okay. 
Okay, I didn't like your kids anyway. Your wife's hard to put up with, tolerate, can't even, worst worker in the factory. Take her with you. You know what I'm talking about? But then he says this, compromise four. He says this, go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. Here's, here's, and listen, man, I'm, I'm not a money preacher. You know that. If you've been here, I don't know, the eight years I've been here, nine years, God is the witness to what I'm about to say. I have never preached on a sermon on money. Never have. Never, that's not, God deals with the hearts of people. We just work our way through the scripture. God will deal with it in a timely fashion. If we find ourselves in that scripture, we'll address it then. We'll not skip it. Okay? All right? That's the way we're going to do it. This is what the scripture says. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. Listen, if you're going to get radical, if you're not going to stay here, if you're going to go deep and you're going to take your kids with you, don't get so crazy where you start investing your resources and your time and your livelihood into kingdom activity. Listen, me and my wife sponsor more kids and we got kids strung out all over this world. I'm not, every time, I, listen, I can't let her go to one of these events. I cannot do it. I can't, I'm telling you, she will break me if I didn't have the resource of God. <laughs> every time she goes to a conference, every time she goes to a meeting, every time she goes to any type of women's gathering, she comes home with kids. I mean, I got kids in Honduras. I got kids in Costa Rica, Puerto Rico. We got kids. I mean, Jorge's, uh, 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 you, you come up with a foreign. We've got a kid who's named that. I guarantee, I mean, they're everywhere. We got so many kids that, that, I mean, literally, you walk through our kitchen in the middle of the night and magnets start falling off the refrigerator where the cards and the pictures just become too heavy. And all of a sudden you walk through and you got, you, got, you got supported kids everywhere. You're walking on Jose. You're trying to get around them. You don't want to step on little, uh, little Cheryl. Or, they're just everywhere. She, she does this. And you know what? You know what? Honestly? Go carry. Go carry. Go carry. You know what she's doing? She's taking her resources and she's saying, we can give another 35 a month. We can give another 35 a month. We can give another 35 a month. And because she's saying that, you know what's happening, Carl? He's flexing. And you know what happens? We have another 35. And when I look at the bank account, we have another 35. And we have another 35. And God continues to flex as her heart is moved to continue to save the world. One child at a time. But that's where we are this morning going through chapter 8. 
Why isn't God flexing? I don't know, man. You tell me. Are you still there? Are you stuck in Egypt? Living in Egypt? Looking like Egypt? Smelling like Egypt? Even when the opportunity is given, man, you're just going to keep it shallow. You're not going deep. Compromise. I don't want to affect my family. I don't want to break up their schedule. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want them to have to sacrifice. I don't want give. Give. I can barely pay my phone bill, my cable bill, my 75 different 599 TV streaming subscriptions. How am I gonna pay for Disney Plus, Hulu, Netflix? And whatever else I've got. I, I can't give to the kingdom. I got to watch the good doctor. See, that's funny to some of you. But I'm telling you, man, people are living there, brother, sister. People are living there, and they wonder, why isn't God showing up in my life like that? That's it. So the question comes, am I allowing compromise to keep me contained? Is it keeping me shallow and not allowing my faith to mature and to go further and deeper? Is my compromise limiting my effect upon my family? Let me say that in another way. There's one way of saying that. Is my compromise limiting my effect on my family? Or is my compromise affecting my family? You understand that's how it works, right? And is my compromise preventing me from trusting God with my resources, my livelihood? You, you live, live the life you choose to live. But when you choose to live it, understand the repercussions and the outcome. And when you know the choices you make, if you're intellectually honest with yourself, you'll understand the absence of the flex of God in your life. Just don't play the game, man. Don't do that. Don't do that. It just smells a little fraudulent when we live our life, when we live our lives like that. When I was a little boy, I was I was uh, coming home uh, from seventh grade, and um, from time to time we would get into some stuff. We were a little mischievous, and we'd miss the buses. Man, you know our bus driver was happy. And uh, we'd miss those buses. I used to joke all the time. I said my, I had an alcoholic guy for bus driver. Bus driver. I said, hey, bus driver, when did you start drinking? He said, what year did you start school? <laughs> but I remember we used to miss the, the bus from time to time, and we would have to walk home, and we, there was a fence over behind what used to be the old junior high, and there was a subdivision. There's a little sports recreation park out there. And then there's an apartment complex across the field. Uh, and it was called Landmark Apartments. 
And uh, I remember seventh grade, I decided, me and a friend, after missing the bus, we're just going to climb over that fence. I'm not going to walk an eighth of a mile down and walk around the fence. Man, you're talking about an agile cat. I'll scale that fence like a real athlete. You know what I'm talking about? I was graceful. Was graceful. And I remember as I approached that fence, not really paying any attention, in hindsight I realize now what was happening, but my shoe was untied. Okay? And, uh, you know, not paying any attention to it. And I remember I scaled that fence. I got to the top of that fence. I had my top leg on that fence. Hey, let me see if I can work this out. Okay, give you a visual. <laughs> I had that. I said was graceful. And I had my foot on top of that fence. I reached down. I had that fence like this. This leg was down a little bit. And I'm scaling that fence. And I pulled myself up to the top of both my feet and I jumped. I jumped. That string was caught in that fence. My body, graceful, like an eagle, for about a half a second. It yanked my feet out from under me. And I fall head first, and I see the blacktop pavement. The edge of the pavement was raised probably three inches off the grass. I come down, both arms to protect my beautiful face. I put them out. That's a joke. I know you're thinking you landed face first, didn't you? Right? And I put my arm down and snap. The string broke then, but it wasn't the only thing. I hopped up, my arm about right there, bent like that. I remember I looked down at it, and it got a little jelly on me. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? I told my friend, I broke my arm. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I mean, it's, and it was so painful. So painful. So painful. You know what compromise is? It's that loose string. And somewhere scaling the issues of life, it's going to catch, man. In the moment you don't expect it, the hour you don't expect it, the day, the month, it's going to rip your feet out from under you. And you're going to land in a compromised spot, place, and it's going to break you, man. It's going to break you. Don't allow that to happen. Don't allow that to happen. Get out of that stuff, man. Get out of, don't, get out of that. Get out of Egypt. Go deeper. Influence your family by a heart committed to Jesus. Give God everything, all my resources, all my time. Whatever I got available, it's his. Whatever I can give, I'll give. Whatever I can sow, I'll sow. You won't regret that, I promise you. I promise you. Stand with me this morning. I want you to go home this, this, this day. I want you to consider what's taking place. What's going on in your life? What about the compromises in your life? 
Don't answer for your brother, your sister, the man or woman standing beside you to your right, your left, your front or back. I'm not with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Don't, 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 don't get derailed with thoughts pertaining to them. I'm asking about you. You. I'm not asking if this person is to blame. Well, I would do more if. I would give more if. I would pray more if. I would study more if this person didn't. No one can keep you from a close, deep, intimate relationship with Jesus other than you. This is on us. This is on me. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I give you this challenge today. Allow God and his word to search your heart. Just ask him. Find some time today. My brothers, my sisters, find some time today. Just say, Lord, do other things have greater influence over me than you do? Is my busyness, my devotion to this, that, or another keeping me out of your word and your presence and going deeper? And is all that contributing to my lack of effect and impact on my marriage, my home, my children, my neighbors, my coworkers? And Lord, because I'm not living that all out like that, does it set in my heart a fear to trust you in the giving and supporting and loving of other people and of your purpose and of your kingdom? I want you to ask yourself that. I want you to find some time today and ask yourself that. And not if God points these out, but when he points these out, Man, just own it. Own it. And allow God to move you out of that. Allow God to take you a different place. Do different things in your heart and your mind. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for today. I thank you for every mother that's in this sanctuary. I thank you for mothers, grandmothers. I thank you for those uh, who, who, have a, who, has, uh, who maybe have never had a child who bears the heart of a mother and has mothered many. I pray for each of my sisters. And I ask you to bless them and encourage them. I pray, oh God, that your love would flow through them into the lives of their children, into the lives of other children, and that the mothers of this church would be a trophy of yours, God, and that you could point to them as a sign and say, look at my goodness. I thank you for the families here. I thank you for each and every person. God, I pray that you challenge them to draw closer to you because your plan is to get us out of Egypt that we might be a blessing to the whole world. So, Lord, we love you. We bless you. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for your people. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. And the sons and daughters of God said amen. 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 God bless you.